0: Man, well, you can be seated, and I didn't get to say this, but uh, happy Valentine's Day to you. So glad that you could join us. I can't think of anything more romantic than preaching about why we need elders in the church, and uh, so that's where we're at, and honestly, I was actually trying to convince Carissa uh, today that, that I think that going to church and opening up your Bibles qualifies as a hot date. All right, so you, you can check me on that later. Uh, we may need a redo, but I'm so glad that you're here. So why don't we uh, open our Bibles to the book of Titus. We are going to be in Titus chapter 1. We are picking up from where we left off in starting this series last week. We're, we're, we're looking at this letter that Paul wrote to uh, his, his boy Titus here. All right, so I got a letter in the mail this week. And, 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 and like whenever you get a, a letter that's like real snail mail, that means something, doesn't it? And, and I got a letter from an old friend of mine that, quite honestly, I hadn't seen or heard from in years. And so, like, I'm getting this letter from a, a buddy, and I'm like, man, this is this is awesome. Like, I, I, on the way in the house, I'm, like, kind of wondering, like, what is going on? Like, why would he be writing me? Why, why, why would he be writing me a letter? I'm trying to rack my brain. I mean, maybe, maybe something was going on in his family. He's got some updates he's just letting me know about. Maybe it's kind of one of those, like, newsletter things that everybody's passing around. Let him know what's going on with their family, or, or, or maybe he's going on a, a, a missions trip, or, or one of his kids is going on a missions trip, and they're, like, raising support, which often happens in that's cool. Like, like, maybe, I, I was trying to think, like, maybe, I, I don't know if they just want to, like, you know, hear how we're doing. He's just thinking about us. I'm like, I was pretty sure this was not a Valentine. But I'm wondering, like, why, why is he writing? Well, it turns out it was a Christmas card that I received on February 11th. United States Postal Service am I right Why w- w- when you get a letter you always want to know like what's the occasion why why are we writing here so 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 Paul is writing this letter to Titus and it's not Christmas it's not his birthday but if you're looking there in chapter 1 verse 5 verse 5 gives us the occasion and the reason why Paul was actually prompted to write to him so here in verse 5 here's what he said this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So, we we looked at this last week, but he's he's reminding Titus why he sent him to the island of Crete. By the way, can we just put this up here? This is legit. That is the island of Crete. Paul sent Titus to this island uh, on mission to help take care of a network of church plants that are all over this island. And I thought, this is a really good time to do an altar call for those of you who feel led to go into church planting and, and to missions. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to have JT come back up and play just as I... Where did he go? Did he sneak in the back and... like? All right, fail. That didn't work. Um, honestly, like if if you're suffering for Jesus on an island, like sign me up for that, right? Like sounds like a pretty good gig. But Paul is concerned about these churches. It's not just one; it's a it's a network. All these uh, church plants on this island, and he wants to make sure that these guys are are healthy and that they're growing. And so he gives Titus kind of a playbook for how to uh, run a church planting network and make sure that they're established and that these churches churches are growing and that they're healthy. And what we saw last week and what we're going to see throughout this book is that a, a growing church is a community shaped by the gospel. And somebody needs to take responsibility to make sure that that's actually happening. Like, obviously, God is the one who brings the growth. He's the one that makes churches grow. But he has designed it so that certain individuals within the church are there to help ensure that that the community in that local church is actually being shaped by the gospel. So, so who is responsible for this? It can't be poor Titus all by himself. I mean, like if, if Titus was responsible for the island of Crete, the, the island of Crete was about 160 miles long. So that would be like asking one pastor, can you, can you imagine this, Rich? One pastor got to take care of all the believers from here to Philadelphia. Ain't happening. All right? So, so, so who, who's responsible for this? Well, this is why he says, verse 5, I want you to appoint elders in every town. You see, it's God's design for each local church to have a plurality of elders. Not, not, not just one guy. It seems to be uh, Paul's and God's intent here for the churches to have multiple men. A plurality is, is always best, but you need to make sure that you got the right guys and they know what they're called to do. And so before we jump into the text tonight, I, I want to give you a, the big idea. Here's what I want you to see and take away tonight. It's that elders... Lead by example, so that the church is a community shaped by the gospel. That's why we have to have elders here. So let's check this out, starting in verse 5. We're going to read through some of the qualifications of the kind of guys that we're looking for to take that role and that responsibility. Here's what he says. Uh, I'll read it again, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. To the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, we got to have elders, but I think this text actually gives us some reasons why the local church needs elders. I'm going to give you four reasons why the church needs elders. Here's the first one. Note this. We need leaders who care. We need leaders who care. He says, verse 5, that, that I want you to go and I want you to put what remained into order. That, that phrase mean, literally means that something is, something's lacking, something's missing, something's not quite right. What, what's missing from these church plants on the island? Well, part of what's missing is elders. Like, like all of these churches, they, trust me, they've still got a lot of work to do. They, they, they've got to grow. They need to get healthy. There's, there's work that needs to be done. But the elders are the men for the job. They're the ones that God is calling to lead. You see, Paul recognized the the, the need for leaders to take care of the churches. I think he saw this while he was on his first missionary journey. And so I've got a map here, mostly because I just wanted to use my uh, awesome laser pointer that makes me feel really cool. But I want you to see what's happening here, okay? So in Acts chapter 13, you got Paul and Barnabas, and they get sent off from Antioch right here. And, and, and they're, they're traveling around and they go to all these strategic cities and they're preaching the gospel. Well, something happens in Acts chapter 14 in the city of Lystra right here. There were these Jews that were not believers, and they're ticked off, and they're angry. They don't like what Paul's been doing. And they had been in the city of Antioch, Pisidia, and Iconium, and they catch up with Paul there in Lystra, and they rile up the crowd, and they get them so angry that the people pick up stones and start chucking them at Paul's head. That's a bad day, okay? So so literally, they leave him there, and they think he's dead. And I can't even imagine what, what, what the, the, the believers gather around him like, I can't, I can't believe what just happened. like he's, he's gone. But then the text says that he just gets right back up, and he goes back into the city, and he keeps trucking for the gospel, and he keeps preaching the gospel. In fact, he goes on to the next city there, if this is going to work. It goes to the next city of Derby. You see that? But then something happens. He actually stops in Derby. And instead of just carrying on to Antioch and going back and finishing the trip, he turns around and he goes back to all the cities where he had just been: Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And this time, there's a little bit of a strategy shift. We had seen first he's going into all these cities and he's just preaching the gospel. Now he's going to walk in and yeah, he's going to preach the gospel. But the second thing he's going to do, he's going to go. He says he's going to strengthen the souls of the disciples. He's teaching and he's encouraging. He's gathering these new believers. You guys. A church let's come together and we're teaching these churches. but then there's a third thing he did in acts chapter 14 that was really significant so he's preaching the gospel he's strengthening the church and then he appointed elders in every church Exactly what he's telling Titus to do here on the island of Crete because Paul recognized the danger that these, leaving these fledgling church plants on their own without having leaders who are going to care for them. And he's especially knowing that all this, this persecution that's going to come in and there's false teaching and there's lies and that's going to become a real threat to the church's health and their stability. And Paul's it like, man, if this happened to me, it's going to happen to them too. Somebody's got to make sure that they're, that they're being cared for. I mean, what's going to happen to the new believers if he leaves and they don't have godly leaders to watch over them and encourage them when it gets really hard and to make sure that they're guarding the doctrine so that they're not being deceived, so they're not being led astray into something that's not the gospel. And I want to suggest to you that, that this is the same issue for you. You know that you were never meant to to have a relationship with God all by yourself. Like, you were saved into the family of God. And you were baptized. When you were baptized, you were identifying both with Jesus and with his church, that he he has brought you into this community, and you belong to the body of Christ. Yes, I have a personal relationship with God, but it's never just me and Jesus. That I'm a part of this. He's placed me in this this community of other believers in a local church so that we can be shaped by the gospel, so that we can grow in grace and in love, and so that we get on the mission together. We're, we're, We're doing this together. But the church needs to have leaders who actually care about everybody in the church and that they're all growing and wanting to make sure that everyone is pursuing the mission together. Which is why, God said, appoint elders, and he gives the elders the charge to lead. And verse 7 actually kind of gives us an indication about the function of this role because he uses this word overseer. That, that word, overseer, You see that word in, in verse 7? That, that word overseer is actually interchangeable uh, with the word elder in verse 5. Pastors, elders, overseer, same guys. okay. But, but the word overseer uh, shows up in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, I've got this for you on the screen. I want you to see this because this gives us kind of an indication of what they were supposed to do. Paul is talking to the elders in Ephesus when he says this. He, he, he turns to the guys and he says, listen, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Pay attention! Pay attention! Like, watch over. These are like sheep that are in your care. You all are sheep. I hate to break it to you, but that's never really a compliment in God's Word, okay? I'm a sheep too, okay? Sheep need help. But sometimes God takes some sheep and asks those sheep to help oversee and watch over. We get to be kind of like sheep shepherds, under-shepherd, I don't know. He's the shepherd. But he's, he's asked some to take the responsibility to make sure they're getting fed, to make sure they're fighting off the wolves that nobody's getting eaten. And God has entrusted this responsibility. He says uh, back here in verse, uh, verse 7, Titus chapter 1, he calls them God's steward. That word means to, to manage or to, uh, to, to, to oversee and supervise and give direction. We need men who are able and willing to stand up for their brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and watch over them and care for them and lead them under the leadership of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. We need men who are willing to do that. And I can tell you, honestly, uh, after so many years of having the privilege of doing that here, it is such a joy, but an incredibly challenging responsibility, a heavy responsibility to be called to this task. And I just want to point out and highlight, I am so thankful for men like Dave and Matt, whom God has called to this task, who have led so well. They're my elders, too. And I'm thankful for men that have stood up to the plate and said, Yeah, we're willing to watch over the flock of God. In fact, I want, in, in light of these guys, can I share with you one verse that would be helpful for you to hear? In Hebrews chapter 13, I've got this for you on the screen. It says, this: Obey your leaders, and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I'd encourage you, if you haven't lately, uh, this would be a really good week for you to text Matt and Dave. And just encourage them and thank them for their willingness to serve and to lead and to care for you we need leaders who care who care about the body of Christ and and are willing to step up and help everyone grow and and I want to challenge you some of you guys maybe the Lord would call you to this someday and we're always looking for men that God would lead and call into this leadership role to take care of the flock now it's, we've said this so many times. It's not about having the right amount, the right number of guys, but having the right guys. And so Paul actually gives us some, some qualifications here, which is actually the second reason why the church needs elders. If you're taking notes, note this. Here's, the, here's another reason we need elders. We need to be examples of godly families. We need to be examples of godly families. He says, verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, that phrase above reproach means there's no obvious hypocrisy between what he says and what he does so that people could uh, uh, accuse him or point to that guy and be like, but what's that guy doing as an elder? Like, that's kind of weird. Like, that's not a good day if, if our elders are, are being accused in the community like that. So s- there's something significant about this that, that other people's perception of an elder matters. And it starts with his family. They're supposed to look and see, well, that guy is a husband of one wife, which rules out polygamy. Which is weird. Like, I don't know why we even needed that in the scriptures, right? Like, that's not really an issue in our culture. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think that this was really much of an issue here. So I think there's something deeper that's happening below this. The, the phrase could literally be translated more like one woman man. A one-woman kind of man. Paul is actually more concerned about that man living out God's design for him to just faithfully love his wife. That's what he wants to see. And you got to remember, the, the, the culture in, the, in Crete is really immoral and it's ungodly and, and purity is not normal. And so, so guys that are doing this, they're, they're looking for men that their marriages are going to stand out. People are going to notice that. They, they can see his love and his devotion and his faithfulness to his wife. But not just to his wife, it, it also says that his children uh, are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insur- insubordination. Now, there, I know this can be confusing because a lot of people are saying, well, well believers—well, that just means that they have to have become Christians. Like, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, you know, what happens if you have, like, a two-year-old or a three-year-old? Like, like, can you not be an elder there? So, honestly, that word believers there uh, is pistis. It could be the word faithful. So so these, these children, these kids are, are not just living wild, rebellious lives that would open up their family to accusations for the community to look at them and just say, man, that's, that's hypocritical. You're undermining the message that they're preaching. Now this doesn't mean This does not mean that that his family and all of his kids are perfect and and sinless and that they never have to deal with sinful attitudes and behaviors like y'all have heard enough Javen stories to know I love my little wild man, but that would become problematic for us, right? But it's important the very fact that those men are dealing with sin and the way that they go about it and the way they're leading their family to pursue Christ. No parent can guarantee that their children are believers in their salvation. But we are responsible for the way that we're leading and how we manage our household, which is what Paul picks up in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where he says, if an elder can't even manage his own household, how's he going to manage the household of God? Like, there's, there's an indication here. You're looking at an elder, and you're seeing that, that he's shepherding his family in love and in grace and submission to Christ. But the bigger point, I want you to hear this. The bigger point is that this is not just for elders' families. I hope you're not sitting here thinking like, whoo, glad I'm not an elder because I don't really want to have to worry about being a a one-woman man kind of guy like that. And I I don't want to have to worry about how I raise my kids. No, no, like, like elders must meet these qualifications because the elders are leading by example, but it's so that all of us are learning to order our households in this way. That that, that we are being examples of godly families to the world around us. So elders lead the way. This this is what it looks like. And then every single family in the church is striving to be this kind of an example. Godly families are going to stand out in an ungodly culture. One is being shaped by the gospel and submission to Christ and the other by pride and idolatry and and rejection of Christ, which is why we look around and we're we're seeing the structure in in our societies just unraveling at the seams and it's because we're we're, we're trying to live apart from God. Instead of acknowledging that His way is best, our culture is actually calling evil good and and redefining what's acceptable and and celebrating the, 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 the modern family of their own making, even if it's a distortion of God's. Designed. And so we can't take our cues from the culture uh, on what's acceptable in our family structure, in our, in our behavior, and what we do, and, and the way that we operate as a family, or we're going to fail to paint the picture of the gospel where a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church. And he loves his kids by raising them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And it's a whole family that knows they are in desperate need of God's grace and God's power to be able to submit and obey him with the opportunity, the opportunity that a family has to be a credible witness to something better than the world around them is experiencing. You see, Paul envisioned a a, a godly family that's leading and impacting other godly families in the family of families the church and that church family is impacting the world so then the question is not just like how are our elders families doing god help us but how are how's your family doing are you being a godly example in your family It's okay to ask for help, okay? All of us need some help sometimes. But please don't let your family slide into dysfunction by neglecting your marriage, neglecting your parenting. Because God's called us to something here that we have an opportunity to be a witness by the way that we order, by the way that we love. And so let your church family help your family when necessary. That's what we're here for. But, but let me be clear. We don't do this by holding up certain families as this, like, perfect model who've arrived. That ain't happening. You come hang out at the shells. You'll find that out pretty quick, okay? But we do follow the example of those who are seeing the gospel shape their family. Those that are experiencing grace and forgiveness and the the families that are learning to to, to put sin to death and and to repent and and changing their desires and they're carrying out their biblical roles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're, they're reprioritizing their schedules and their resources and their finances in light of the mission, realizing we're not here for us, we're here for the glory of Christ. We need elders that, that lead the way because we all need to be examples of, of godly families. Can I just, I just want to encourage you, Olivia, just what's one thing that you could be doing this week to really lead your family spiritually? Just one thing. Like a, a lot of times we start off with like these big grandiose visions. Just start simple. He's making sure that we have time around God's word and time that we're praying together as a family. We just recently picked up a book that we're, like, going through some catechism questions with our kids, forcing them to memorize. You're going you're gonna to memorize this. Right? You're going to love God. Right? Praying through other countries, helping them see the bigger picture. Of why are we here? What's one thing you can do? Because we want to be those kind of example to the watching world. But that leads to the third reason why the church needs elders, because not only do we need to be examples of godly families, but we need to be examples of godly character. We need to be examples of godly character. He says this, verse 7, for, for the overseer, God's steward, he must be above reproach. There it is again. It's this idea that, that public perception matters. And then he gives the, these qualifications of a man's character, verses 7 and 8. And, and, and what he means is this. He can't be living in such a way that his actions discredit the message that he's preaching and that he's teaching. We've said this so many times here, but you, you know that this truth exists. Your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You you can't be saying one thing and doing the complete opposite because people are going to look at that and say, that's hypocritical. And in their minds, it's going to give them ammunition to just dismiss the truth and what it is that we're claiming. Like, 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 who's going to listen to a guy, look at verse 7, who's going to listen to a guy like this who's, who's arrogant and, and full of himself and who easily ticked off and he's violent and he's drunk and just making a fool out of himself and he's, and he's greedy and he's taking advantage and, and, and using people for his own gain? Like, some of this is just common sense. Dude's not fit to lead. Like, nobody's listening to that guy. But instead, verse 8, he, he's to be hospitable, meaning he, he's, he's using what he has for the benefit of others. And he's a lover of good. He values what God values. He's self-controlled. Meaning his, his emotions and his desires are being led by the Holy Spirit. He's, it says he's upright. He's holy. That means he's, he's just. And he's fair. And, he, and he's pure. It also says he's disciplined. This is kind of interesting, especially if you look at verse 12. Remember, remember what the... the culture in Crete is like, verse 12 he says, all the Cretans, they're, they're always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Like an elder can't be lazy, he can't be addicted. He can't, he's purposeful, he's disciplined in this. This is a man of godly character as seen in his actions. There's so much here that we could unpack. In fact, uh, I, I recently took a group of guys from our church over the fall. We took them through a book study on the qualifications of, uh, of an elder and the pursuits of a godly man. It took us nine weeks to get through those things. And so I, I know that I'm not gonna be able to do justice to all of these characteristics now. There's some incredible things that were just kind of flying over. But the bigger point is this. Elders must be an example for the church because everyone in the church is supposed to be this example too. Again, this is not one of those times you're like, man, I don't want to be an elder because I kind of like being an arrogant liar and a drunken lazy glutton. Like That's, that's not what God has called us to. That's not what Christ has asked us to live like. And so these qualifications, these these characteristics of an elder are the kind of godly character that all of us are striving for. And and Paul wanted these these young church plants and these believers to impact their communities. But he knows that's not going to happen if everybody's just living just like the culture all around them. But when they're living like Christ... There needs to be a difference in the way that they're living that stands out and it highlights the power of the gospel to change lives. 2 Corinthians 5:17 is if, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, new has come. Do people see that in you? Like something new, something, something's changed. Like there's there, there's a difference, like they can see. God's at work in your life. Is, is, there a, is there evidence that you're not who you used to be? Y- even if you've been a believer and you've been walking with Christ for a long time, are, are you still able to look back and over the last few months, over the last year, and see the evidence? God, God is changing me. He is at work. He's helping me grow. Think about the impact that it can have, have to the credibility of our message to your friends and your family and your coworkers when they can see the difference that Jesus makes in us. That, that, that he changes our attitudes when we're going through really difficult circumstances and we're full of, of joy and thanksgiving. Instead of complaining. Where he changes our, our, our priorities and, and how we use our time. Everybody's got a lot more time. But because of what Christ is doing in our lives, we use our time differently. And, 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 and how there's this eagerness to, to give away instead of just spending for ourselves and, and our desires change and, and we don't want the things that everybody else is chasing after and, and we're not controlled by our, our emotions and, and, and our impulses. Listen, when Jesus is your treasure, people will see the change. And God appoints elders in the church to lead by example so that believers in the church are also displaying the difference that Christ makes. And God gets all the credit and he gets all the glory. Actually, elders need to make sure that God gets all the credit and he gets all the glory. Which is why we've got this fourth reason why the the church needs elders. Note this, we need to be taught sound doctrine. We need to be taught sound doctrine. He says this verse 9. they got to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is actually the only qualification that sets uh, these guys apart from other men in the church that God's not calling to be elders. Elders have to be able to teach. It's part of their role. They have to be able to teach God's word. He says, I want you to hold firm to the word. They're committed to the word of God and the gospel, and they're faithfully teaching it so that the church knows what's true and what's not. In fact, there's so much here. We're we're, going to unpack this next week as we continue on in the book. But elders got to live out the gospel with their lives and proclaim it with their mouths, and there can't be inconsistency there. And it needs to be abundantly clear. the, The elders have to keep running back to this truth. That what we do is because of what He's done. That we highlight the glory of Christ. See, if you're not accurately handling the Word of God and faithfully teaching it, then this message actually gets lost in a flurry of human striving. Where we're always just trying to be better, and we're trying to, uh, we feel guilty about not being better, and we look at the Bible as if it's just here for self improvement, like it's just advice. Here's some things that you can try. I hope that you don't hear a message of do this, do this, do this. That's not the gospel. We come back to what Christ has done. We're not striving to be godly so that God will accept us. we're declaring the good news that we are forgiven and accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for us and because of that we love him. He changes our desires so that we want to live for him. It's the power of the gospel at work in us. Elders have to be faithfully teaching the word of God to make sure that this is happening. That we're providing caring leadership and setting the example of godly families and godly character and teaching sound doctrine to make sure that we're a community that's being shaped by the gospel. God, I pray that you would do this in us. Lord, help us. I fall so short so often, but we give you praise for your grace and your mercy. God, you're at work in our church. We're so thankful for the way that you have been growing us. And as we've said, so much of it is below the surface, but that's that's where we want you to be at work, Lord, in our hearts, to make us more like your son. Would you change our desires so that we love Jesus more than anything, that we're living this out, that it changes the way we interact with our wives, our husbands, our kids. It changes the way we Look at our resources, what you've given to us, what we have, our time, our schedules. It changes the way we look at our relationships in the community. And we recognize that you have sent us here on mission. And we want to exalt the name of Jesus and make much of you. God, would you help our church to grow? Not for us, not for our name, but for yours and for your glory.